This began with a statement here, and the statement is this. What revival is to the church, baptism of the Holy Spirit is to the individual Christian. It's kind of an interesting statement because there have been, over periods of time, people who have gathered together in the local church and they've prayed passionately that God would send revival upon the local church. It's a wonderful prayer to pray. There are times when we need to do that. Usually, although, what they're doing is praying that the Lord would bring the church up to their level. Lord, may all the church be like, Lord, send revival like we're experiencing, like I am. Well, no, no. As revival is to the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to the individual. And when we speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are referring to something more than the cadence of the average Christian life. Just as we speak of revival in the church as a manifestation of God's presence with such power that it might change the way that the church operates from day to day. Now, the church can't sustain itself under this manifestation of God's presence. And so throughout history, God has come upon the church and almost like a jolt of his life and his presence and his power and out of that the church sustains or is propelled forward for a period of time in ministry. And we need this periodically to keep us going until the day when we're glorified in his presence and we can, in a sense, handle the full inundation of his life constantly flowing and pouring over us. But the church needs this, I would say, frequently. In the same way the Christian needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit because we're speaking of something that's more than just the ongoing rhythm of the normal or average Christian life. We're not referring to the steady obedience and growth and faith that you might expect from a born-again Christian. Every day you should begin your day with prayer and you should end your night in the same way and there should be time throughout your day in which you take regular devotion to seek God and to honor Him and to consider His instruction for you and this should be the practice that is carried out in all of our lives. But when you read the book of Acts... When the Spirit came and baptized the early church, and from that they went out in power, you recognize that it's describing something more than just this ongoing cadence of the spiritual or the Christian life growing in their faithful walk to the Lord Jesus. You recognize when you read that, you're, you see an expression of power and of faith that catches our attention as something that is substantial and significant. There's a a giantness about it. There's a greatness about it that's taking place in this little church that enables it to penetrate and begin to change the direction of the Roman world. When we're praying for revival in the church, we're praying for that type of thing to happen in our little church, in our places of worship, that God would so come upon us that it would alter the course of our national history and of world history, and in the same way, When you seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you're asking God to come upon usual men, like the men in the New Testament. They were just usual men. There was nothing distinct about them, but they did unusually great things under that baptism. This is the work of the Spirit offered to us as well. An outpouring that would make common Christians like ourselves live uncommon lives and do uncommonly great things through the power of God coming upon us with boldness and the winsomeness of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he just manifests himself to us and manifests himself through us to others. I hope as we've been going through this brief series within the series on the Holy Spirit that I hope this has not been confirming, well, I've got that and I hope everybody else gets the same thing. I hope instead it's whetting your appetite and making you think, God, I want that. I want more of that. 
I want more regular impulses and infusions of that upon my life. I want that to be what's presented when I'm engaging my neighbor, when I'm at my workplace, when I'm before my spouse, when I'm with my children. I want the outpouring of your spirit guiding and directing me and establishing high points, high watermarks for the inundation and the flood of your life within me. I need a new high watermark in my life. Come show me where you, you move and you work and live and let me live within the standard of that new mark of the outpouring of your spirit upon me. I want that. And so it's all right to pray for revival in the church, but if you pray for revival in the church and you recognize the need of that in our church in our day and age, you ought to think that you ought to. You ought to give yourself more and more to pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you shouldn't think that, well, you know, I... I ask God to go with me every single day and I ask Him to give me wisdom and my choices and so I don't need that. Well, that's what the church does every week, week in and week out. We pray and we sing and we worship together and yet we recognize something more that our world needs, something brilliant and vibrant rising up from the church and you ought to say, God, I want that in my life as well and and you can't read the book of Acts without seeing that that extra, that something, that baptism, that pouring out was upon them. And it's, it's explained and expressed in spectacular words. And so there's a bit of a warning here. It's not to go and read these tremendous things that the Spirit of God does and then somehow read it and then apply it in your life to just the regular ongoing cadence. You know, I say, well, that's kind of like me when I say good day to my neighbor when I pass him when I'm walking on the street. No, it's, it's something more than that. And you want to let yourself dream and project your mind in that direction because that's why God put it there. Say, I can do these things and I've given this promise not only to them, but I've given it to you. You want to aspire to these things. Now that said, we move on to our consideration this morning and the title of our message is Seeking the Baptism of the Holy Spirit. There seems to be a reason why Christ did not immediately and without requiring a waiting period give his disciples the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You realize that he could have done it right there on the spot. He gave these promises, but why promises without the answer immediately? I'm sure when he was saying, I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and you wait in Jerusalem and he's about ready to ascend from him, they were thinking, Lord, do it now. Do it now. No, wait. There has to be a reason why the Lord Jesus made them wait. That baptism will bring to them an increase in immediate immersion into an outpouring of intimacy with the Lord Jesus. It will pour into them a power to be a witness for the Lord Jesus beyond the mere recounting of what they had seen and heard in the life of the Lord Jesus. In other words, now they're going to go out and these words are going to resonate with divine authority, with a seal of divine authority as they proclaim it for individuals. It's going to have before it not only the information of their own eyewitness accounts, but a push and a press and a drive of the Holy Spirit behind it, cutting into the hearts of men as they spoke. They're going to need that empowerment so that as prophets they can proclaim the person and teaching of Jesus Christ. And as priests, they can stand in the wasteland of people's sin and offer them a way to God. And as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, they can represent in the midst of resistance and persecution the composure and certainty of the coming king and that they are living in his kingdom. They're going to need these things. And when they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, their message flowed out of their hearts, this open-hearted, glad-hearted, generous hearts that flowed out with gladness to all those around them. And there was power in this little church to bring that message that changed the world as a result of that baptism. And yet the Lord Jesus 
withheld the promise of this spirit baptism from them until they waited for it. He said, you've got to wait for that. And so this is going to be our first point. We'll make some observations under this point to clarify it to some extent in our minds. But the first point is this. They had to wait for this baptism of the Spirit. For in waiting, God wanted them to seek it. In waiting for it, God wanted them to seek it. Another way we might say it a little more strongly is simply this. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be sought by the Christian. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is to be sought by the Christian. It's not to be assumed that this anointing and this outpouring of the Spirit is automatically upon our lives. We're to seek for it. We're to ask for it. So let's make a few observations about this. And this first issue is here before us. The Spirit's fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not to be assumed. If we were to assume that this happened automatically, then we should be able to see the undeniable evidence of the Spirit's powerful work through the church and in the experience of every Christian in this day. Every person who's claimed Christ as Savior, everyone who has been born again of Him and regenerate by Him, every person who's put their faith in the Lord Jesus right now should be living this dynamic, powerful life that we see in the book of Acts. But we don't see that. We don't see that. You know yourself, there are times, there was a time in your life, you might go back and remember when you gave your life to the Lord Jesus. And you look at your own life and you could see times in which you were burning with a clean fire of passion for Christ. And you also know there have been seasons, long seasons, which that's not been the case in your life. It wasn't automatic. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen and then sustain itself in one continuous, ongoing, unabated fire in your life. There were times in which... Initially, you were raging with a love for the Lord Jesus. And there are other times in which the love could hardly be found. And so the Lord Jesus, by His Spirit, comes and calls you to go back and not neglect your first love. Merely the point is since that if baptism was immediately ours and the churches, we would be now resonating with the same pulsating, growing, expanding witness of Christ and the power of the Spirit that we see marking that little church in the book of Acts. All I'm expressing here is that this baptism isn't something that happens automatically to the believer in Jesus Christ. You can be a Christian and you can live without this power and this blessed presence being poured out upon your life. You can live that way in a tepid state throughout your life and not know this zeal and this passion and this power. And yet, this is what Christ promised for us. And this is what Christ wanted for us. And so that's the other thing we would observe here is that the Lord Jesus wants us to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He wants us to experience the outpouring of the Spirit upon our lives. He wants you and He wants me to live and experience this inundation of the Spirit pouring out His own presence upon ourselves and pouring into us His power as we live our lives in the world around us. And He wants this so much that He's promised. He's promised to us to give this to us. He's laid it out as a promise for your life and mine. It was necessary. It's necessary for us to be able to fulfill the task that He's given us. To us, has still been given this task to take the gospel to the extremities of our world, to take the name and the person of Jesus Christ to the extreme points of our lives, and you won't be able to do that. You won't be able to effectively accomplish that with eternal benefits if you're not filled with this Holy Spirit. And so the Lord Jesus, who's given us that task, wants to give us that power. He wants to give us that life. He wants to pour out this baptism upon us, but he 
says we have to wait for it because he wants us to seek it. We can't assume it. He wants to give it to us, but we have to search for it. He wants us to seek it, and for a number of reasons. In fact, I think what you could ask is, why wouldn't the Lord Jesus simply give it to us if we ask him for it? You know, if I just ask him, should he not just, on that alone, if I understand Christ's teaching, all I need to do to receive this outpouring is simply by faith ask him for it, and it's mine. And you've got a good observation there. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 11, and we'll read here next. The thinking might come to your mind, didn't the Lord Jesus simply instruct us to ask in faith for this outpouring? Isn't that all that's required is that we ask? And I think that's a good starting point. I like the illustration that Mike just gave us this morning of uh, the person who doesn't ask for directions and they're lost and then they just finally, under the persuasion of their wife, stop their car because, you know, us men, we just want to find it ourselves. We stop and we ask and we find out it's just a couple blocks away from somebody who knows and That's a good starting point, asking, but, well, let's read what it says here. This might prove the point. Luke 11, verses 11 through 13. Luke 11, 11 through 13. Let me read them to you. I want to, in a sense, affirm that that's a good idea. Just ask it. Jesus says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? There you have it. It's quite simply put. All you need to do is ask. That's it. All I have to do is ask and I get the Holy Spirit. Well, I would say that's a good starting point because there are individuals who have not even asked. They've just assumed, and then not comes that God, I asked for this. It's something beyond just the normal experience of the Christian life. I think that's a good place to start. But I want to suggest to you that what's being revealed in this statement of the Lord Jesus is the heart of God for us. I think what the Lord Jesus is revealing is that God is good and that God wants to outpour His Spirit upon us. That even evil men know how to and have some impulse to do something that's good for their children. And God has a greater impulse than that. And what the Lord Jesus is doing is he's building up in those who are listening an expectation and recognizing that if there is not this outpouring of the Spirit upon their lives, it's not because God doesn't want to give it. God wants to give it. God wants to pour it out upon the individual if they're asked. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize that the ask that's being referred to is something more than just a casual request Dialing, God, if you could, just before, thank you for this meal I'm about to eat. And oh, by the way, I'd like to be baptized by your spirit today. It's more than that. Lord Jesus, it was a good day. I pray that you forgive me all my sins. I'm going to go to sleep tonight here. But uh, oh, pour out your spirit upon me right now and baptize me. It's more than that. It's more than just an ask in that way. In fact, the manner of the ask is revealed to us. If you go back further into the passage, go back to verse 5 and we'll read that. And you'll see that the ask that God is calling for is an asking that is largely made up of seeking and intensely and persistently desiring over a period of time. It's not just an ask on a whim or an ask of, well, this is a good idea. I think I'll go home today and ask for this and I'll get it in the afternoon. It's more than that. Look at what it says in verse 5 of Luke chapter 11. And he said to them, Which of you have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is coming to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, Don't trouble me. 
The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. We read about this in Proverbs chapter 2 for our scripture reading this morning. And if you see in Proverbs chapter 2 that the request for knowledge is attended by a voice that's crying out for it. It's crying out for knowledge and it's not simply requesting it, but it's seeking for it as buried treasure, as silver. It's searching for it and digging for it and longing for it. And there's a persistence in the cry and God is wanting us to seek for this thing. That's why he told them to wait. The question we might ask is, why does God want us to seek for this baptism? Why does God want us to wait for this thing that he wants to give us? And the answer, I think, is rather easy to find to anyone who's a parent. All of us as parents have wanted to give things to our children. We've even promised things to our children in anticipation of giving it to them. And we've offered that before them, but we haven't immediately delivered on what it is that we've promised them. At the same time, we've tried to cultivate into them a anticipation for it so that they would treasure it and value it when it came. We don't give to them automatically the things that we want to even give to them. For some, they'll have to wait to be mature enough to properly handle the gift. There might be a dad who's just eager to wait for the day when he can take his son hunting with him, but you don't give a five-year-old a 22, right? You wait for a while and you wait until they're old enough. And then finally, when you think they're old enough, and even then it's a bit of a chance, You give them that firearm and you take them out and you teach them how to use it. They don't give things to their children right away because they're afraid for a couple of reasons. One is they might destroy the thing that they give to them or the thing they give to them might destroy them. So you wait until they're mature enough to handle it. And we also don't give it to our children because we want them to be old enough to actually truly value it. We might have some precious heirloom. There might be some ring that's been passed on from one great-grandmother to a grandmother to a mother, and now it's going to go on to the daughter. But you don't give it to the daughter until the daughter understands something of the family history and something of the value of that thing and cherishes it and understands the truth and the principles that are behind it. And then on some special day, you might give it to her. You want her to value it. Again, even when a child is of age to receive a special gift, You might not give it to them right away, not because you don't want to give it to them, but because you want to build in them an appreciation for the thing. They may be asking for something on a whim. They may be having no great want, just a whim for the thing. They may be asking for a thing out of curiosity, but that curiosity hasn't built up into them to such an extent that it becomes akin to a need. And they want it so bad they need it, and you're waiting for these things to develop in their lives. If that's true as parents, since we raise our children and give to them the things that we think are precious and valuable and good, how much more than the Father giving us this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's so powerful that awe would harm us if if we received it without a sense of care and awe for it, and if we received it without a a sense of value for it, as it came upon us merely as a curiosity. The other day, someone told me the story. This took place... A number of years ago, a person had gone to a church where there was a famous speaker who promised to give people the power of the Holy Spirit. They were at a dinner which this man was speaking, and then he said, if anyone wants to come up, I'll lay my hands upon you. You'll receive the Holy Spirit. One of the persons at their table got up. A woman got up, 
walked up and the man put his hands on her head and she passed out and fell backwards and there were people that grabbed her and then she walked back to the table and when she got back to the table she sat down and said, well that was a trip. I don't think, I don't think that the Lord Jesus wants to pour out the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon you so you can have a trip, so you can have a neat, interesting experience. It's far more important than that. Far more necessary and so God cultivates a want in us. He cultivates a desire in us to the point that it gets to a need and so he tells us to wait. Just yesterday I went to the 16th birthday party for Saul or a little over a week ago a little dog that he's had since he was two years old passed away and yesterday his parents gave him a new puppy and he got it. He couldn't even open it. He folded over this kid who's now as tall as me if not taller and becoming a man and his voice is getting deep crumpled over and just cried before that little puppy that was before them. He had grown with that other little dog that he had that had died to know and understand how great and valuable it is. Interestingly enough, just before going to their house, I had written down this little illustration that I have here. The child asked for a dog not once but repeatedly. The child is consumed with this desire. It becomes a great want in their life. The child then begins to enumerate to his parents all the ways that the dog will make their lives better to the extent that it seems to have become a pure need to their well-being. If I don't get I won't get what I need to live and survive. The child gathers that something that ultimately his parents want to give him. Maybe they've even promised in the past that the day would come when they could have a dog. And so every day they begin to rise up out of bed almost expecting to find the dog in the house. They're a bundle of anticipation and expectation. It's coming any day now, and they can't get it off their mind. Every morning they search the house to see if the dog has arrived yet. They go so far as to choose the dog's name. They build a dog house for the dog. The needed, expected pup is being prepared for. They buy a book on how to train the dog, and they plan out their days around the dog. They're intending it. They're wanting it, they're needing it, they're expecting it, they're intending it. And as a result of all this seeking of the dog, they're almost miserable without the dog. And let me just suggest to you, at that time, it's time to get your kid a dog, right? You waited long enough, they're prepared. And so it is with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that God would give us, and with this power that he wants to lay upon us. We're not to presume upon it. We're to long for it, not as a whim, but as a want. Not as a curiosity, but as a need. Not an assumption that it's ours, but as a growing expectation of something God has promised. Not for casual purposes, but with plans and intentions. We're to seek for this baptism of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, the first application to all that's been said here is not to assume that you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit just because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you received Him as your Savior. And another is to intentionally, as a result of this, wait upon God and seek for this baptism. But now I want to give a warning to my generation of Christians. We think that waiting for something is comprising a few minutes, maybe a few hours, maybe a day or so. Maybe we'll give ourselves a week. But after that, this is getting ridiculous. If this preoccupies our attention too much, We've got some dangerous preoccupation that's keeping us from getting on with the real business of life. We're a generation that wants quick ways to God's power and God's influence. So the truth is, the quicker you want it, the more immediate you want it, I think sometimes the longer God will make you wait for it. Until you shed that idea that you can somehow control the clock in which God delivers the systems that make you 
successful and meaningful in your life. Let me read you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones along this line. Martin Lloyd-Jones speaks in his book, Joy Unspeakable, of the nature of people in the 1980s, of wanting things happen fast. Now it does. We were pretty impatient in the 1980s. In the early 1980s, it was hard for us because we had to handwrite out our papers that we were going to write, and then we had to get a typewriter, and we had to type it out with an electric typewriter, and that was difficult. But he's thinking as he's writing that that was kind of a, an immediacy, that kind of experience, that delivery system was spoiling us. He has to go back to the middle 1800s when people weren't demanding instant things. But in his time, in the 1980s, people were just wanting too quick a shortcut. Do you think it's gotten better in our day and age? Right? Nowadays, you tap a key on your computer and you're waiting for your Wi-Fi system to boot up to keep up with you. And after six or seven seconds of staring at the screen, you think, what is wrong with this computer? This is just not bringing this information up to me quick enough. Here's what he writes. We are a people who always desire some shortcuts, some easy method, some kind of packaged blessing. And that is one of the great differences between the Christian literature of this present century and of the Christian church up to the middle of the last century. He's talking about the 1850s. People would seek a blessing for years before they received it. But there was a purpose in all of it. God was dealing with them and leading them along a given path. You will never know the heights of the Christian life without effort. You have to strive for things. There is a seeking and a knocking and an importunity. End quote. That's what God is looking for. And the more we're prone to think that we can get things in a quick delivery, the more God will delay. So that God can work in our hearts when he needs to work in our hearts so that we become hungry and passionate and desiring so that he builds within us the proper sense of want, the proper sense of need, the proper sense of expectation, the proper sense of intention, and what he gives us. Wait, wait for it. I don't know what would happen if today were the day in which the Lord Jesus said to his 12 disciples, wait, wait for the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon you. It happened 10 days later for them. He would have said that to us and said, all right, sometime this afternoon it's coming in. Sometimes in the next 10 minutes it's coming because he said, wait. And it might have taken us not 10 days, but 10 years. Because God had to build in us and has to build in us what needs to work in our lives so that we treasure what it is he wants to give. And so that when it comes to us, we value it and immediately implement it into our lives. With all that said, I want to quickly share with you what must take place in our own lives for this seeking and this waiting for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, in a sense, reach where it needs to reach for us to be positioned for God to pour out the Spirit upon us. And we referred to it in the illustration of a little boy with his puppy. And it's first this. First, as you wait and as you seek, cultivate in your life, in your seeking, a deep want. Cultivate in your life, in your seeking, a deep want. The Lord Jesus had told his disciples that he was going away from them, but that he was going to come and he was going to be with them through the presence of his Holy Spirit. He actually told them, it's better that I go away because if I don't go away, I can't send my spirit to you. And he's going to come and he's going to bring my life and he's going to be with you and he's going to be in you. And this is going to be even an improvement from the experience that we've had with one another over these last three or four years. It's going to be better than this. 
And then the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, telling them to wait in Jerusalem until that promised spirit was poured out upon them. And as he was departing, and they couldn't hardly take their eyes off of heaven, and the spot where they last saw him disappear in the clouds, because they wanted him. They wanted his fellowship, and they wanted his presence, and they wanted his life. When they went back to that upper room, and they began to pray and supplicate and seek the outpouring of that spirit, I tell you, above everything else, what they had was a great want for Jesus in every way to make himself real to them, for Jesus' presence to be marked at every place and every point that they went. They wanted somehow to have in that moment the very tangible sense of his presence that they had had just before those moments. It was a great want to be with Jesus and be near Jesus and to experience the presence of the Lord Jesus in outpoured vibrancy. Second thing you want to cultivate in your seeking is you want to cultivate a sense of deep need. The commandment placed upon those early disciples was to proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. These Galileans, these fellows who were, in a sense, considered hicks in their own nation. They had to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Oh, what a tremendous task, what a tremendous responsibility, far beyond their ability. How were they to communicate this great truth even to the learned and spiritual leaders of their own nation? Those people who are far more sophisticated than they. And then to take it to the ends of the earth? This is what he's left us with? This is the command he's laid upon us? Oh, we'll need something we don't have. We'll need something. And the need began to grow in them. Began to grow in the how it'll take place. Well, Lord, unless you send that promised spirit upon us. We'll never be able to accomplish it. If you've figured out your Christian life to such an extent that you think you can effectively do it day by day on your own, you've lowered your goals. You don't have a calling big enough for what the Spirit of God would do in your life. You need to, in a sense, get hold of and lay hold of a calling in your life to live out the life of Jesus Christ and proclaim the life of Jesus Christ that's so great and so broad and so compelling that you need something more than just your own innovations or your own capacities and your own ability. You need God to expand it. And by the way, what God will do in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ is if you won't allow yourself to be caught up with this sense of this great need, God will introduce you to it one way or another. He'll take you through difficulties and hardships and trials. He'll dwindle you down in all of your own resources as he still puts before you his desires for your life. And he's faithfully doing that to push you to the point of need. God, I, I need what I don't have. And I need it. I don't need your help. I don't need a boost. I don't need to kind of lift me up. I'm not like the little engine who's saying, I think I can, I think I can. God, if you can just get me over this little hill with a little extra energy. God, I'm, at the, I'm in the valley. I'll never ascend to the mountaintop of service and honored you unless God you bring me there by your power I need you I need all of you I need all of your power your spirit inundating me the task is too big and I am being exposed for all my weakness and all my inability and I'm being exposed in all of my pettiness and all my sin oh God take over let that need build in your life and study your own life to see if God is not persistently throughout your life trying to introduce you to your need of him Here's the third thing. Cultivate with the want and with the need an expectation, an anticipation for what has been promised. For 
This baptism has been promised to us. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, as Peter is preaching to the multitude before them and explaining this glad, generous outpouring from the hearts of these that are around them, the message of all that Christ has done, these Christians proclaiming Christ and drawing into their stories the great works of God from the Exodus in which God led the nation of Israel out of bondage to Egypt and tying it into the great Exodus that the Lord Jesus now has brought them away from their own sins. That's what these people were hearing in their own language in this miraculous, powerful way. And Peter says, now this outpouring of the Spirit and this great, powerful witness that you're seeing here, this glad, generous outpouring of the message of Jesus Christ that you're seeing from all of us, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. It was promised to us. And then verse 39 of Acts 2, he says this, And for the promise is to you and your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. It's for you as well. I don't know about you, but if something's been a promise to you and it's delayed in its arrival, but it's been promised, especially if you trust the one who's promised it, you begin to expect it. You wait for it. That very promise of that outpouring helps you endure as you seek it and long for it as you wait for it. Not 10 days, but maybe 10 years. But you wait for it expectantly, longing for it, knowing it's been promised to you. And you press God for it again and again. And you know in the end He's going to work it out and He's going to prepare you to do what it is He's called you to do by His outpoured Spirit. So you want it, you need it, you expect it. And you let that expectancy carry you through days seeking for it as well. Here's the fourth thing. You seek this baptism as you intend to act in obedience to Christ. You seek this baptism wanting it, needing it, expecting it as you intend to act in obedience to Christ. We say in our training that we give overseas, teaching people evangelism, some of the last lessons that we give are on the filling of the Holy Spirit to empower us in the ministry. And we teach people that the Holy Spirit fills us at the point of intended action. We've said, you know, there are a lot of churches in which they sing a lot of songs and they pray for God to make His presence known and His Spirit to come down. And we say oftentimes what you'll discover is the reason that the Spirit of God is not coming in power upon the church is because God knows they're not intending to do anything with it. They just want it as a, an additional experience for their life to make them feel good about themselves so they can put that in their advertisement. More people can come to our church if they know the Spirit is here. Right? But they're not intending to take it and drive them into a life of obedience and holiness and drive them out into the witness for Jesus Christ. And so, so often, what limits it is, God knows if you're intending to do something with it. God fills us at the point of intended action. Acts chapter 1 tells us of these early disciples that went away from the place where the Lord Jesus had ascended. And just before he went away, the Lord Jesus said, You tarry in Jerusalem until you receive power, for it shall come upon you not many days hence. I'm going to send it, but you've got to wait for it, and you've got to seek for it. And they went back to the upper room, and they began praying and asking and supplicating that God would send it. But we read what they were planning for as they were praying and seeking for this outpouring of the Spirit upon them. At that time, Peter stood up among them and said, You know, listen, Judas has died. Judas betrayed the Lord. It was prophesied that he should betray the Lord, and he's died. And yet now we need to replace him. And we need to find another individual among us that can replace Judas and be a part of the ranks. And there are a number of individuals who think that Peter was getting ahead of himself. That that was really not something he should have been doing at that time. Because God had a different apostle in mind. And it wasn't the one they chose. It was Paul. Well, I don't want to get into that argument. 
I don't know what the answer to that is. I don't know if that's the case or not. But, but here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that in this, they were planning for something. Look at Acts chapter 1. And let's look at verses 21 and 22. Acts 1, 21 and 22. Here's what Peter says. As they're getting ready to choose somebody, and as they're selecting those that they're going to choose. Therefore, of these men, those who are with them, who have accompanied us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us, Beginning from the baptism of John, when the Lord Jesus was baptized by John and the dove came down and anointed him. From that time, people who witnessed that occasion, to that day when he was taken up from us in his ascension, one of these must become a witness with us of the resurrection. One of these must become a witness with us of the rest. As they're praying for the Holy Spirit to come and baptize them and fill them, as they're waiting in Jerusalem, what are they intending to do? They're intending to go out as witnesses, powerful witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're lining up and they're organizing those who will provide the leadership for that role and that mission. So they're getting ready for the action. They're getting ready for the intended service that the Lord Jesus has given them. Well, seek the baptism. Wait for it so that you'll want it and you'll need it as a desperate desire and you'll see and expect it as a promise that God has given to you. Oh God, why not yet? Why not yet? You promised it to me. And all that intend to act. Plan out your action. I would say begin carrying it out, some of it. Sometimes the Spirit comes to us in the last moment before we step into our acts of obedience. Sometimes a few moments into it, it comes to enable us and empower us. A work of the Spirit that is more. A work of the Spirit that is mighty in the Christian. And not to be assumed upon, but sought for. Sought as a great want and a great need. Sought as a promise. Called out upon as an expectation. Sought with a commitment to intention to obey and live out a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why God makes us wait. That's why God makes us wait. I have a little book in my office called They Found the Secret. It's the story of great men of the faith who some further way in their Christian life and many times quite a ways into their service, service as missionaries, service as evangelists, service as teachers and preachers and leaders, some point in, they recognized that they were not carrying forward their work and the power, the inundated power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives, and they, they sought it, and they cried out for it. And as they sought it and began to cry out for it, God didn't immediately give it. You'll discover that in most cases, God whittled them down. Their asking began a process, and when God began to show them why, they hadn't got it up to that point in time. The things and the ill motivations of their heart, their tendency to reflexively go back and rely upon their own power and their own abilities. And God whittled it away until they were desperate for him and they cried out for him. And then the day came. The day came when God poured out a spirit upon them. And the work that they did from that time on became a lasting, enduring work that is still blessing the church to this age. And our church needs that to happen among us as well. He needs that to be one of the testimonies of our life. Are we prepared to endure 
and seeking God for that and asking God for that. Let's bow our heads, let's pray. God, we thank you for the witness and testimony throughout the history of your church and those who followed our Lord Jesus. These moments of brilliant, shining empowerment of your spirit. We thank you, O God, that you patiently go with us, enduring with us, leading us, guiding us, instructing us, never leaving us, even in our times of tepid faith. Even in the times, O God, when we have just faithfully sought to habitually follow the patterns you give us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the call in those things. But, O God, if you're planning on doing a great work in these last days, stir up within your church again and within your people a great expectation of an outpouring of your spirit. May your people even be found waiting, seeking for that baptism on their lives. God, the great prayer in my own heart is that I want to minister to others in the engagement with them, your spirit. I want your spirit to leak out from me and pour out from me. Oh God, if that's the case, pour them on us. Pour them on me. We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen.